All right, join me now. He is our lead NFL analyst here at PFF and the co-host of the very popular PFF NFL podcast. First time guest here. It is Sam Monson. Sam, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good, Ari. How are you? Doing well. We are right now in this um, dead period of the offseason in my world, so there's not much going on. And, um, you know, everyone is on their vacations and PTOs and getting some last minute family time before everything heats up once again and we are back in full force. And because of that, what I wanted to do today with you is, you know, we're in June. As I said, not much is going on, but training camp is in under a month or about a month away. So what I wanted to do is each of us will give our storylines for training camp that we are keeping an eye on. We'll do 10 in total, five each. We'll go one by one. And um, the ones that are lingering questions or things that you are just interested to see what ends up happening there. And since you are our guest here, um, I'll let you go first and let's get underway here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of interesting storylines given everything that's happened in, you know, the NFL offseason so far. Absolutely crazy offseason, all kinds of huge moves, this massive arms race amongst the contenders. Um, But I think the most interesting thing to me is the Baker Mayfield situation, right, with Deshaun Watson's um, legal issues starting to show some sign of winding down you know 20 of these cases have been settled now according to the announcement um, by lawyers you know presumably they're working on the other four that's going to pave the way for the nfl to to issue whatever discipline they're going to come down with but ultimately you know the browns go out and and go after deshaun watson as this upgraded quarterback and baker mayfield is sort of sitting here in limbo not going to, you know, OTAs, who knows if he'll be a training camp waiting for a trade that isn't there yet. The Browns still might end up needing him in the season if, you know, Deshaun Watson is shut down for the whole year. And you've got Baker Mayfield, this incredibly, you know, prickly character, even when things are going well, right? You know, when things are going well, the dude is planting a flag in the opposition's field. He's throwing footballs at guys in the end zone, whatever. Like Baker Mayfield is is this sort of antagonistic, prickly character when things are in in a good place, when things are bad. And, you know, his own team essentially is kicked him to the curb, but, but not entirely. Man, it's, it's just such a fascinating dynamic to see play out. And that's if he stays in Cleveland. I think it's equally interesting if he ends up getting traded to Carolina and all of a sudden he's got to, you know, compete with, with Sam Darnold, a guy from his own draft class, and essentially be the guy that tries to kind of save Matt Rule's job there. So I guess, first of all, with the Watson stuff, yeah, 20 out of 24 were settled. That really will make a difference in the NFL's eventual discipline, which I think will happen early July. But they have their own personal conduct policy under the CBA, regardless of innocent, guilty. They do based off their investigation. That's how they they determine what's going to end up happening. For Baker, I think the talks with with the the Panthers are still ongoing. It's all about dollars and cents. But where would you want to see him end up? Because for me, like I know there's ego as part of it, but him being in a contract year if Watson does get suspended for so many games, whatever it is, I feel like Cleveland makes so much sense just to ball out, have a great year, show the NFL you could still play, remind everyone last year I played through a really hard injury with my shoulder, be back healthy, and then go into free agency and cash out. Wouldn't that make the most sense? I know there's some relations that have to be fixed, but what would you want to see? 
You're right. Like from a Baker Mayfield point of view, it's the last thing he's going to want to do, right? Stay, stay at the team that essentially said publicly, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. We don't, you know, you played last season hurt for us and we're really grateful for that, but we're going to go out and find somebody better anyway. And, you know, that's it for, but for Baker Mayfield, you're right. The Browns would be by far the best situation for him because we're this late in the off season, right? And there aren't, there aren't contenders sitting around waiting for a quarterback to, to come in and do that job. Carolina obviously is the team with a desperate needed quarterback Carolina. I think they got better this off season. It's still not a good situation. It's a, it's a pretty good group of receivers. The offensive line is now like half fixed, but that's, that's not a great spot to be in. Seattle would be the other team. They're even worse. You know, that, that team, once you remove Russell Wilson from the equation, the Seahawks are terrible. They're one of the worst rosters in the league. So the, the best thing for Baker, for his future, for him showing that he can still be a viable starting quarterback in this league is to stay exactly where he is in Cleveland, where that is a, a contending roster with good quarterback play and show them that he can – or show – forget them, show everybody else – that he can still play at that kind of level. And then maybe next year, you know, he's in position to jump to a team that's in a better situation than Carolina and Seattle is right now. Yeah. I and mean, my stance on this has really been, first of all, the clock is ticking. So if you're getting traded, it's as you know, new team, new players around you, new coaches, new system and everything. And besides that, the whole reason the trade hasn't happened again is because of the money. I've been wondering because of the fact that every day that goes by is pretty valuable would Baker consider just saying, you know what, if you guys are arguing over $3 million, let me just take a $3 million pay cut and let me just get traded. Because it's actually happened a couple of years ago. If you remember with Unique Ngakwe, when he wanted to get out of Jacksonville, got traded to Baltimore and or Minnesota, one of those teams, I forgot which one was first, but he took a pay cut to end up going there. Um, so I was wondering if Baker would do that because as of right now, he's like, I'm not doing anything. And reality is I'm shocked he hasn't just forced the issue. Like, under the CBA, he's allowed to show up at minicamp and just start hugging Andrew Barry and stretching us to Kevin Stefanski, make everything super awkward and just right. get me out of here. But he hasn't done that. So um, we'll see what happens. That is definitely one of the main storylines entering training camp. My first one is um, similar to you. It's a quarterback and it's Jimmy Garoppolo, the other quarterback we've been talking about this offseason. So for people just to catch up over here, the 49ers had every intention of trading him early in the offseason. But then he, on his own, went out and had surgery without letting the team know it's going to happen. And that threw everything off. So according to their timeline, he should be throwing right about now or early July. And here's the thing that I think people aren't really talking about. I don't really have a logical destination for him right now, but his contract, unlike Baker, is not fully guaranteed. So if there's no trade and the 49ers are keeping him, they could eventually basically squeeze him when the preseason is over and say, hey, that 25 million that will be guaranteed next week in week one, we can't do that, but let's do 10 or we'll just cut you. So this happens all the time in the NFL. It's a business. It happened last year to Latavius Murray with the Saints. So for me, it's a risk for players who don't have guaranteed money going into the season. And I'm like wondering if he's not traded by training camp, I don't think he could even show up to camp without that contract being adjusted because that will eventually happen to him. So what do you think ends up happening here to Jimmy? Do you think there's any destination that makes sense? For me, I have a hard time finding one, but I think he would like to stay in San Fran, even if it's as a backup. But the whole idea is what's going to happen with his contract. So what do you think ends up happening here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of destinations, the only one that really makes any sense to me is Seattle. And obviously that brings the the issue of being in the division. The 49ers aren't going to want to do that. Um, on the other hand, you know, the 49ers had Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, a play or two away from a Super Bowl. And they decided that despite him playing at that kind of level, they were trading three first round picks to go out and get his replacement. So it wasn't just like, hey, if an upgrade comes along for Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, we'll be in the market. They were like, no, 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 <laughs> we are going after an upgrade to Jimmy Garoppolo. So if you had that kind of degree of confidence in him, that, that you were so intent on going after his replacement, it feels like you should kind of continue that through logically and say, you know what? We don't care if he's playing for Seattle. Like we don't have the confidence in him. That's why we went after a Trey Lance in the first place. I know it's not going to happen, but I think logically you should follow that through in terms of team building. Um, but then you end up in this sort of situation where, well, okay, if they're not going to trade him to Seattle, Maybe they release him, but it feels like he actually ends up getting kept. And if he's still in San Francisco, that's when it gets really interesting to me. Because now you've got this Jimmy Garoppolo is a capable starter, particularly in this offense. He's shown what he can do. But Trey Lance is the guy they traded three first round picks for. Trey Lance is the guy that's supposed to have, you know, this team in the future. And it's supposed to be his team now. But can they can they bench him? You know, can they sit Jimmy Garoppolo down and say, all right, turn it over to Trey Lance? That I think is where it gets really fascinating. I just want like people to remember, like Jimmy has fans in that locker room. Like every player there loves him. So if if they keep both guys and Trey is struggling, you could imagine what those conversations will be in the locker room about getting him back in. So that's another issue that I really don't think has been brought up as well. But the contract element, again, with his money not being guaranteed, for him just to show up at camp and be with them, I think that has to be addressed first. And for now, we haven't heard much about that as well. All right, Sam, who do you have second of the year of your storylines? So we touched on a little bit with the Baker Mayfield thing because Carolina is one of the landing spots. Um, Obviously, that's fascinating if they get Baker Mayfield. But if they don't, I still think it's one of the most interesting sort of situations to watch in the preseason because you've got Sam Darnold, who there is still a group of Sam Darnold truthers out there. I, I, I don't know why I can't, you know, come up with a logical reason for it. But there are people that will still defend Sam Darnold and say, look, it was the Jets. It was Adam Gase. It was the situation. It's the offensive line last year. He's never had a shot. You give him one good situation, we'll get the real guy. Um, but look, Carolina, I don't think really has faith in them either. They, they ended up, I think, doing a good job in the draft of not, you know, reaching for a quarterback in the top 10, coming back and being able to get Matt Corral in the third round. And now you have this competition of one guy, a veteran you don't trust versus a rookie you probably don't trust, right? Because the, the guy went in the third round for a reason. He comes from this heavy RPO type of offense, like 40% of his plays in college were RPOs. That's, that's 10% in the NFL for most offenses. So you almost, it's, it's another team that has this kind of quarterback competition between two guys, neither of whom is likely to kind of go out and win it. And somebody's just going to get like handed the job at the end of this and say, you know, okay, you're the guy, you're, you're, you're the team, you're the player. We have to, to lead this team and, and hope it's good enough. 
You know, the thing is what you said in the beginning, it's so true because it, it does sound a little bit funny, but there really are people out there who really believe there's untapped potential with Darnold. Like, as you said, the, the Jets years were a mess. Year one in Carolina, McCaffrey gets hurt and OC was fired. Do you still see a scenario where you could actually turn it around and become that type of a thing or has that ship sailed? I, I think that's gone. I'm not even sure it was ever really there. And like, that's the thing. I, look, it's, it's a fair point that his situations have been bad pretty much start to finish, right? He hasn't had a great spot to be in. But we've seen before, you know, as important a situation is for quarterbacks, truly great quarterbacks can kind of transcend it a little bit, right? And they can, they do more than show you a play every now and again that sort of says that they're, they're legit and they can pull this around. Darnold has never done that, even dating back to college, right? You can look at his USC career, and you can find these splits where he's like at one end of the, the nation and then the other end of the nation in pretty quick sequence in terms of good and bad. I think he's always been this projection of, you know, a can-do potential. Like he is capable of incredible plays, but he's just never been able to put it all together. So I suspect that even if Carolina somehow completely fixes everything, right? That the offensive line isn't just half fixed. It's all the way fixed and the offense is functioning and the receivers are great and they stay healthy and McCaffrey's there. I still don't think we're going to see, you know, a great Sam Darnold. We might see a guy that plays a little bit better than his baseline so far, but that would still be a below average starting quarterback in the NFL and not enough for them to go forward with. Yep, and once again, he has a new offensive coordinator this year now with Ben McAdoo. All right, so I feel like we have a bit of a, a quarterback trend going on here. So my second topic, we're sticking to that. And I'm going to go to the contract situations with Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. So the Murray one, let me start with him. I think that one actually gets done. But a lot of people in the NFL are keeping an eye on how this contract will end up looking like. Because after the Deshaun Watson deal happened, five years, $230 million, fully guaranteed, the question for everyone, especially agents, has been, is the next quarterback contract going to look like the Watson deal? Will it become the new standard? Or is the Watson thing an outlier? So there's a lot of pressure here on Kyler's agent, Kevin Burkhart. Everyone's keeping an eye on if it's going to be the traditional way, 60% guaranteed or whatever, then everyone's going to move on from the Watson deal. But if Kyler can at least come close to 85%, 90% guaranteed, fully guaranteed, then I think we've entered a new stratosphere with the quarterback. So I think that's one thing that I'm keeping an eye on. I think it gets done, but how the contract actually looks like is one topic that I think people should be keeping an eye on. As for Lamar Jackson, I don't know if this one gets done. And I think people are finally picking up on how much of a unique situation this really is. We have a star quarterback who's been eligible for a deal for over a year now. The team is open to discussing a contract worth generational money, but the player is working without an agent and the player has been like, yeah, I'm good for now. Like, don't worry about it. And it's, it's unbelievable. It's such a mystery. These teams, as you know, like to budget their cash and their cap two, three years out. And Baltimore is here sitting around with this looming quarterback contract and they have no idea what's going to happen. So if it does not get done, we're looking at 23 million fully guaranteed this year on the fifth year option then a franchise tag next year. And then the leverage really starts shifting towards Lamar because by then there's only one more year of control for Baltimore. And by then also Burrow and Herbert are probably going to sign extensions with their teams. And I'll just remind everyone when Watson signed his deal, owners were not happy with the Haslam's, but there was only one owner who came out publicly 
with his name out there and said that Watson deal is not right. And it was Stephen Bishotti, the Ravens owner. So I think all that is noteworthy. I don't know what Lamar Jackson wants. He's been very chill about all of this. And just so people know, a lot of these like top quarterback agents, they've all contacted Lamar's group of people. He has advisors, his mother, and said, hey, we'll do this for you. We'll take a lower percentage. Let us do it for you. Up until now, he's been saying no. So I don't know what the end goal is. I've never seen a situation like this. It might not ever happen again, but it's quite fascinating. And I think as time goes on, we're going to be hearing about it much more on all these national networks. and Everyone will be talking about it just like they once did with Dak Prescott with the Cowboys. If you remember, that was a good two-year conversation. Mm. I think this Lamar Jackson thing will become that type of a conversation. So is your understanding with the Lamar Jackson thing and him doing this himself, you know, representing himself, no agent, that is there something specific that he is trying to get out of this? Or is he simply like, no, I'm, I'm okay right now. I've got, I've got money. We don't need to do this for another, you know, nine months. Hit me up in March and we can talk, you know, like, is that what's happening here? The thing that's weird to me is that he doesn't, he has money off the field, but on the field, he was the last pick of the first round. That's not like great money. Right. So that's what's confusing to me. And my only thinking here is, First of all, him waiting a year already has worked out for him because there's been a bunch of new quarterback deals coming in. The market has gone even higher. But if he doesn't do it this year, I'm starting to think he just wants to go to the Kirk Cousins route where it's two franchise tags, force the issue on them. And unless they give me this insane deal, I'm going to go to free agency and get the greatest deal in NFL history. But again, there's the security problem and there's the injury problem. And it affects everybody. That's why every agent I've spoken to about this topic would not have let him step on the field last year without a deal. And he's still going into it with this year. So I don't know what his plan is. And people have to understand the Ravens front office, they are one of the best at not letting things get out. Lamar does not have an agent. Things are not getting out from his side. So it's going to be fairly quiet. But up until now, the Ravens have been saying, we're ready to talk. And he has not come up to the table. And when he did that press conference last week, I don't know if you saw it, but it looked like he just wanted to get out of the press conference, not answering anything. So I have no idea what his plans are, but it's a very unique situation. Yeah, it is a wild situation because you're, you're right, though. The, those deals, I mean, the Dak Prescott one is a perfect example, right? The longer it goes, the more the price is only going up, right? The quarterback, I mean, contracts generally in the NFL, they're only going in one direction. So the longer you can hold out and not get injured, the better it is for you financially. But obviously, that's the trade-off is you've got to wait for the money and you do risk it with the with those injuries. Yeah. And just, just, just to mention, you mentioned Prescott. Prescott went into two franchise tags. That contract is one of the best quarterback contracts out there. Like, it's better than the Mahomes deal. It's even better than the, the, the Josh Allen deal from last year. Because, first of all, he can be tagged again. So if this happens again, he can get tagged. And Jerry Jones will basically have to be back at the table at this time next year, probably right. at the earliest. So his contract is incredible. So maybe Lamar is trying to get to that point. And if he does, again, like I mentioned, the leverage is definitely going towards him in negotiations. All right, Sam, who do we have next for you? All right, I'm moving away from quarterbacks this time. Um, All right, I, I think training camp is this really interesting kind of check-in on where this Detroit Lions rebuild this project this multi-year process is right particularly with their defense because you know they they look like they kind of strategized this whole thing year to year and said right the the first year we're going to build in the trenches and we're going to get a couple of big off our defensive linemen we're going to get some offensive linemen these guys take a couple of years to develop and then you know next year we'll get positions that take less time and then it'll all come together at the same time the only issue with that is you need to be right 
You know, it, it might take those guys a couple of years, but it, it'll, they need to actually show that development. So this, I think, is a good check-in on where those guys are going to be. Alim McNeil, uh, Levi and Wuzurike, those big uh, interior defensive linemen, we want to start seeing some real progress from those guys so that we can be sure that they are part of this process. Because you look at their edge rushers, it's a similar story. They've got quite a lot of um, potential there. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson, but um, Aquara and Charles Harris. There's a lot of sort of talent that's flashed or shown in limited snaps. But they need something from those interior guys. And, and those the first wave of additions to this rebuild, I think, need to show something in this training camp and really start to get the Lions excited. What have you thought so far about how the Lions have operated under Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell? Because anyone who watches this show knows I'm all in on Detroit. I think give them another year. And I think we'll be talking about them pretty highly, not just for like a year or two, but like they're building something that will be a consistent winner, which some of they've had, they've never had for a long time. So what do you think about what they're doing there right now? I absolutely love the process, right? The, 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 multi-year project that they've undertaken and honestly it's it's going to be interesting to see if this actually um gives some new head coaches and new gms you know a new regime if this kind of gives these guys more runway to come in and say all right look the franchise is a mess i can fix it but it's going to take me three four years right don't expect to win in the first two years because it's not going to happen i am only going to do this in parts the first year is going to be this stage of the project phase one right like a like a business plan and say it's going to be phase three before we get the quarterback and we're able to contend and and that's what's going to happen and you know detroit went in there and they seem to have done this in a very structured way across multiple years and they're still not at the quarterback you know jared goff's there fine he'll get another year of kind of treading water and then next year is when that guy comes in and boom, that's when Detroit's supposed to be really good. So if they're able to, cause there's two parts of this, right? There's process and then there's results. Yeah. So I love the process. Now they need to make sure they got it right with the actual selections and with the results. So the defensive lineman that we talked about before, the additions that they've made, they just need to keep making enough of those or the, you know, the strike rate high enough so that next year when they do get that quarterback, and they nail that pick, then we are talking about like, this is the picture perfect way. This is the new model on how to come in and completely overhaul a franchise. And I, I hope that happens because I, I think that this was, this was a much better way of doing it than a lot of teams that sort of just change regimes and say, right, you know, click your fingers, fix it. You know, you got an off season, make, make all the money in the world, spend what you need to spend, but I want it fixed like now. They went and said, no, this is a bigger problem than that. It's going to take three years and we're going to do it step by step, but then we'll be contenders. Yeah. I mean, they've been in a way where it's like, we'll add all these building blocks now, eventually drop in the quarterback and run from there. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily reminiscent of what Kansas City did, but when Andy Reid came there, but it was, we'll trade for Alex Smith. We'll build this roster together. Then they eventually draft the quarterback they like in Patrick Mahomes he drops right in and they go off. But their general manager, Brad Holmes, people don't know his background. Like he came from the Rams. He was their college director. He's basically the GM for the the scouting side. And when people always talk about, you know, the FM picks for the Rams, they're always into those late, the mid to late round picks. And the Mm. guy who was mainly responsible for that was Brad Holmes. He was the guy who was doing all the work there, 
under less need for the college department and working to find those lay round gems. And now he's come in to Detroit and I believe their first two drafts there, they've done a tremendous job of just adding building blocks onto this roster. And eventually I really do believe they will blossom. But yeah, seeing how that all develops here in training camp will definitely be one to watch. All right, for my next pick, um, I'm going to go over to... It's a bit sticking back to the contracts a little bit, but the four receivers from the 2019 draft who won new contracts. We have, um, and there's, um, let's say, there's DK, Metcalf, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and Deontay Johnson. What are they going to do? Are we going to have hold-ins? Are we going to have forced issue? Will there maybe be a trade? For me, at least right now, I feel like the Samuel, Samuel situation, which was very messy at one point, I feel like it'll be figured out just based off the tone of both sides compared to where it was originally. He showed up to minicamp. He was in good spirits and the 49ers have been adamant. They're not going to move him. So that's for him. For DK, I think this is one that bears watching because he just wants to get paid and he would prefer for it to happen in Seattle. He has not publicly complained the way A.J. Brown did or the way Debo Samuel did, but he did make a statement by skipping mandatory minicamp last week. So that was his message to the team. Hey, get this done or else we'll you know take this to the next level. And it's not a complicated situation to figure out because he has the same agent as A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown got that extension. So the framework of a deal is there for Seattle. You're either willing to do it or you're not willing to do it. So if it doesn't happen before training camp, what he does will be one to watch. Deontay Johnson, if he wants to get top market money, I don't know if it comes for Pittsburgh, simply because of how well they draft the position and how historically they've dealt with receivers. Like they let Emmanuel Sanders go. They let Mike Wallace go. They're fine with letting these guys go. They kept AB, but I believe they realize the star power that he has. But remember, this is a team that just drafted George Pickens. They just drafted Calvin Austin. If he's looking to get 22 to 26 million, I don't know if they do it. I don't think he's someone who's going to hold in and make a whole fuss about it. I think he'll play out his contract and eventually become a free agent or go to the franchise tag. McLaurin is the one that's interesting to me because if there's anyone who has represented this Washington franchise during all this turmoil, the best, it's probably him, right? Eight different quarterbacks, um, over a thousand yards on average these three years, and they've been far apart on talks the entire time. And this is the one that should be a no-brainer in my opinion, but they're nowhere near it. And he was away from mandatory mini camp. I don't think he gets traded. And we've seen in the past that Washington is perfectly fine with like, play out your contract. We'll do the franchise tag game. They did it with Kirk Cousins. They did it with Brandon Scherf. The thing for me is I believe he's willing to take this far because he knows how valuable he is with the team. And considering the fact that he has a new quarterback there in Carson Wentz, all this does is hurt them. So um, I guess let me pass it back to you. From these four guys, do you have any opinion on what's going to happen with these guys? Um, could you see a trade happening or any of those things happening here? I could see DK Metcalf getting traded um, because, you know, it, it was one thing to extend him when you had Russell Wilson, when you thought you were going to be contending, like the Seahawks just kind of took away any chance they're going to have of being good in the short term. It's that's not usually the time where you want to go throwing big money around to a guy who kind of is missing a piece, right? Yeah. Like DK might not be as good as DK has been with, the combination of, you know, Geno Smith and Drew Lockett quarterback. So I could see that being a potential option. I agree with you. I think Debo stays, gets a deal done. Um, McLaren should get a deal. Like I, I don't, I don't understand why you would wait on that. Like 
that, that guy earned a deal <laughs> the first couple of years in the league just by being incredible given what was around him. Now you you trade for a quarterback that most people are criticizing you for, right? The general consensus on Carson Wentz is this was like a desperation move. If you're going to prove them wrong, you need to make sure his number one receiver is still in the building and, and still playing and still playing and, you know, still happy. So that's the one I think that you absolutely should be moving mountains to make, ha- make work. Yeah. I just don't, I, I don't get it. And, and like, again, we've talked about Washington and how they're, I guess they don't want to go to that 25, 26 number. It's exploded this off season, but considering what he is for that franchise, if he's not there, we're talking about Dotson, Curtis Samuel and Deami Brown as your top three receivers. And considering like you mentioned, Carson Wentz being there it just wouldn't make sense to go in there without him, but he's been adamant about getting a deal. Skipping mini camp was a real thing. And I think he's a real hold in candidate during training camp. If nothing gets done in these next couple of weeks. All right. Who do you have for your um, fourth topic here? Uh, sticking kind of with the, the wide receiver theme a little bit. Um, yeah. Green Bay, right. I was looking recently, this might be the worst receiver group that Aaron Rodgers has ever had to play with, right? There's only one other year that even come close. And it was that 2015 season where Jordy Nelson tore his ACL in the preseason going into it, right? Other than that, he's always had a legit number one superstar, you know, even if the rest of the group was not good. It was Devontae Adams. And before Adams, it was Jordy Nelson. Before Jordy Nelson, it was Greg Jennings. Greg Jennings to Donald Driver. Like, he's always had that one guy. And when they overlapped, you know, then he had a, a great receiving core. But all of a sudden, you, you have to trade away Devontae Adams. And your replacement was, you know, those two guys in the draft. It was Sammy Watkins as a kind of low price type of deal. And on paper, it's just, it's just not a good receiving core. There aren't guys that you think, A, necessarily have the skill set to be that true number one X-type receiver, or B, that have the capacity develop, to develop that kind of instant um, rapport with Aaron Rodgers that's so important to his game. You know, that single coverage, Devontae Adams, automatic target, back shoulder, easy money. Like, that, that kind of thing takes time. And... You know, when you nobody has a higher PFF grade over the last few years throwing against single coverage than Rodgers. And the receiver is an important part of that. And you just look at this group and it's it's not good. It's also maybe the best defense that Rodgers has had on paper. So I just think that's that's sort of setting up for a really interesting dynamic in training camp where, you know, bad receiving core really good defense we might be hearing a lot of stories about how that Packers offense is struggling you know during training camp because of that ma- uh, matchup so my next topic ties into this a little bit so I, I, got, I guess I'll just go right into it it's does OBJ decide to sign back with the Rams during camp and continue rehabbing or will he continue to rehab on his own and let the season start and let the options come to him and if you remember last year the two teams it came down to were the Packers and the Rams, and ultimately chose LA. And obviously that worked really well, but the Rams have Cup, Allen Robinson, and Van Jefferson. As I said, OBJ won't be ready for week one. Should he just sit and wait and see which teams need that spark that he gave last year to the Rams? And maybe it is the Packers. I mean, you mentioned this receiver group not being so good. I think the Packers are still going to win games regardless, 
but obviously what matters is the postseason. So him coming in and being that guy for them, how about maybe waiting and going to a team like the saints and all those LSU connections this off season, reuniting with Jarvis Landry, if they're doing well, or the Patriots of Bill Belichick who admires or go with Tom Brady, who he's been talking about all his career. I guess my question for this topic is basically what is OBJ going to do? Is he going to sign during camp, go back to the Rams, take his time and try to run it back? Or will he just sit back, relax, and let's see what happens as the season starts because I'm anyways not going to be ready and which team really needs me because I can make an argument the Rams don't need him that much with what they have. But there's other teams out there that I think it would make sense and definitely the team you just mentioned with the Packers would make a lot of sense for him. Yeah, honestly, I mean, Green Bay's dream scenario might be to kind of play the first, what, third of the season, try and get some kind of handle on where their wide receiver group is, try and sort of figure out a pecking order with these new guys, and then swoop and bring in an OBJ who can step in, you know, spend a few weeks getting up to speed, spend a few weeks learning the offense and and get himself acclimatized. And then for the final few weeks of the season and into the post season, you know, boom, you have a totally different situation. So from their perspective, absolutely. From OBJ's, it's, it's interesting because like, that's not a bad situation for him either. Um, On the other hand, there is sort of value and, and something to, the environment of rehab that an NFL team can yeah. provide you, right? Like signing back with the Rams in preseason and then getting connected to their, you know, rehab regimen, their player wellness program, like the whole environment, I think is probably a positive for OBJ. Plus the fact that they don't need him right now, you know, that's also a positive, right? You don't want to be kind of rushed back from this before you're really ready to fire on all cylinders. Yeah, I believe their team doctor did his ACL surgery. He crashed on McVay's wedding. I think he wants to go back. <laughs> I'm just curious just to see if he decides to wait because I think the money also matters to him a little bit here. And I don't think the Rams have much to offer right now and they know he's going to miss time. So what he ends up doing, if he signs, if he doesn't, I think that's definitely one to watch. And if he doesn't, I think all options become open once again for him. All right. I think we're up to the last one for you. Who do you have as, um, what do you have for your last one? So Buffalo drafts James Cook, right? And for a couple of years now, people have been talking about how running back is a real problem for this Bills team. I, I think that's a little bit overblown. I think the way they play, the, the way that offense is structured, running backs are just less featured than, than they would be in other offenses. And it's not the biggest deal in the world that they don't have a superstar there. But they're kind of talking about James Cook being brought in because he offers like a little bit of different skill set to those guys. He's a run after the catch guy. He's a, a real weapon as a receiver. I just, I, to me, when I watch James Cook tape, um, like it's really, it's, it's lazy. It's stupid. It's too easy to sort of say, well, he's Dalvin's little brother. So therefore his comp is Dalvin, but you watch him and he genuinely looks like Dalvin Cook at 80%, you know, like 80% across the board, like size, speed, power, just dynamism, like everything about Dalvin Cook, but scale to like 80%. But my theory is like, if you got 80% of Dalvin Cook, that's probably the best running back in most draft classes, you know? Yeah. And if he's that, if he is 80% Dalvin, like that's a real weapon in that Buffalo offense. And I think you might be sort of looking at this during training camp and saying, all right, the guy that we thought who was just going to come in and be like a little run after the catch, you know, check down option, is actually the most dynamic back we have and should be the guy playing, you know, whatever the kind of 
whatever Buffalo has in terms of an every down role, you know, I think there'll be a committee regardless, but whatever the closest thing they have to a lead back, that might be James Cook. And if it is like that, that just makes that offense even more scary. The way you talk about Cook over here, it's interesting because before the draft, like two weeks before the draft, everyone started talking about Brees Hall, round one, Buffalo Bills. Hmm. I never bought it. I don't think that's the way Brandon Bean operates. I think he's looking for the second, third, fourth round running backs, cheaper running backs. And that's what happened. But if you had that option, would it have been Brees Hall for this offense? Or do you really like what you, what you see from James Cook and you think this could really work better? I mean, I, I think Brees Hall in abstract terms was a better running back, better prospect, you know? So if you right. had the choice of, you know, if, if draft position wasn't a factor and you just said, which guy would you prefer? I would take Brees Hall. I think he's got more to his game. I think he's got um, just more ability top to bottom. But if you're factoring in, you know, just the player that they've got, I think may end up being a much better player than even they thought he was. You know, they've, the way they've been talking about him, they've kind of said, well, he just fits this really specific niche or niche in this offense. And, and we love what he can do. Like if he is what he looked like on tape, you know, this mini version of Dalvin Cook, like he could be by far their best back and actually just immediately improve the offense, not just because of his run after the catch skills, but like across the board. Well, if he has a mini version of Dalvin Cook, um, good Lord, that offense would be insane. <laughs> All right. For um, my last one here, before, before I do my last one, let me go through the ones that I had on my list, but couldn't make it here. Um, I have who's going to be the week one starter in Seattle, Pittsburgh, and Atlanta. Is Gronk actually retired? I added that one yesterday. Um, the Dan Snyder situation in Washington, Deshaun Watson suspension, I think everyone's keeping an eye on. And then the one that people kind of forgot about is does Alvin Kamara get a suspension? If people forgot he had his arrest at the Pro Bowl, that's a personal content policy thing that the NFL is investigating. They just brought in David Johnson for a visit, didn't get a deal. I think that's another one that people should be keeping an eye on as well. But for my last one officially, I have who is calling the plays for the Patriots, the offensive <laughs> plays. Yes. Uh, I think that's a, a, a mystery as well. I, I don't know if it's Patricia, it's a judge. Will Belichick just do it? Is it a group effort? I'm assuming we'll find out in the preseason unless Bill decides to do a whole rotation through each game to drive everybody nuts. But I really don't know what the final solution will be. I've been more on a wait and see mode. But I want to throw this idea at you because I saw Albert Breer mention this and we all know how Bill looks for these special edges or different edges and wants to be different. He said, Bill, obviously losing Josh McDaniels was big. He doesn't want to lose assistance. So if you hire a new offensive guy and then this guy did really good, someone else will snag him. Hmm. Do you think Bill is looking around and is like, you know what? I can't lose anybody. Let me use these two former coaches a special teams coordinator actually knows the offense and defense pretty well. So maybe you can do this. I'll help out as well. And I'm pretty sure no one is going to take them from me after what they saw of the giants and lions. Do you think, <laughs> do you think there's any truth to that being a logic of here in New England? I, I can kind of see the, that that thought has crossed his mind. The idea that like, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit in our podcast a while ago. Like, what do you search for um, in today's NFL? If you have a head coach opening, do you go for an offensive guy or do you go for a defensive guy? The problem with going for, one of the problems with going for a defensive guy, even independent of the idea that, you know, offense is everything right now, is that that guy then needs to find an offensive mind to call the offense. And if that offensive mind is good, 
he's going to lose him in two yeah. years time. Right. And if that just, you got to do it all over again. So, you, so that I think is an issue. And if Belichick has kind of spotted that with the McDaniels thing and said, like, if I keep, if I bring in the next guy and he's good, I'm going to lose him in two years time. And I got to do it all over again. I, I think there's a real chance that he might be looking at this and saying, how do I avoid that happening? Right. And the obvious way is you don't give, whatever offensive mind you think is the best guy in the building, you don't give that guy play calling ability because that's the thing that gets him recognition, right? That gets his kind of um, his resume out there that people can look at and say, well, here's the play caller for this good offense. Let's sign him. If you just have like this offensive genius in the background somewhere, it's a lot harder for people to figure out exactly who that is. I, I don't know if he's gone quite that, you know, Machiavellian, but I, it wouldn't shock me. You remember how much he didn't want to lose McDaniels to the Colts and they went all in to make sure he stays. He didn't want to lose him this time either, but it was just a perfect situation with going with Ziggler, getting full control. He has a roster he likes, the quarterback he likes, the money to spend. It just made too much sense to leave. And I'm just wondering if Bill could actually think like that. And we've mentioned just he looks for edges. He just does. And if it means losing an assistant next to him, might as well just try this thing and see how it goes. I think it's a bit risky because Mac Jones entering his second year, but um, it's, I guess, going back to the original point, who's going to end up doing it? That is um, my final topic here. All right, so there we go. That's our top 10 storylines to keep an eye on. Sam, I want to thank you for coming on. Everyone can follow you on Twitter. It is at PFF underscore Sam. We have about a month to go until training camp rolls around, and then we will be back in full force. Football talk going all over the place, and it's going to be quite the ride this season. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a long time coming.